But I think the main things is at the end of the day, volleyball is volleyball. It's in the same nine by nine court, and the rules are the same. So we. Uh, <laughs> is that on the back of your shirt? Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, yeah, it's on the back of your shirt. <laughs> you did, you did a little free shout out for you. Um, and it doesn't matter who's on the other side of the net. You need to still execute to the best of your ability if you want a chance to win. What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? It is Tuesday, May 9th. This is episode number 62nd. 62nd, wow. 67. Welcome to the 81 square meters of the best volleyball coverage on the internet. This is the 9 by 9 My name is Everett DeLorme from Toronto, sunny Toronto. Well, actually, it's clouded over a little bit now. And joined, as always, by the one, the only, Mr. Rob St. Clair from down in Chicago. It has been a busy busy week not busy in the sense of a lot of matches like we usually have but just busy with so much going on all all the leagues are coming to culmination uh it's been fantastic we had the ncaa men's final four or final seven final eight final <laughs> what I don't, I don't i don't even know what it is anymore Rob, but we're going to talk about that uh some as well some big vla stuff later on the, this week as well so but first and foremost rob how you doing you, you doing uh, well over there I'm great. Uh, this is this is a very fun time to be talking about volleyball because there's really only like a week and a half left in the in the entire club season. Like all the stuff we've been talking about for like eight straight months is really coming down to pretty much this week. We've had, I think, really just the German league is the the German men's league is the only one that's fully wrapped up by now, and we'll talk about that yeah. later on the show. But other than that, we're diving into the finals here and uh, the Champions League finals a week from Sunday. So. This 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 is it. This like week and a half, like ten day stretch. This is it. This is when the good stuff really happens. So I'm I'm excited to get into it. Uh, shall we start with the men's Scudetto playoffs? Uh, Want to go yeah. to the Italy men's side? Absolutely. Uh, last week when we wrapped things up, they had just only played the one game. Now we they have played two, a couple of banger matches. Um, and I'm excited to get into it and shut up the trolls in the Discord who basically say say that we're idiots because. Uh, you know, uh, um, Trentino has now gone up two to one in this series. And Rob, you and I were chatting just now before off air and a little bit over the weekend. I think it's they're very, very lucky that this season, that this series isn't, isn't already over. Right. I think they're very, very lucky that Trentino hasn't come come away with a 3-0 sweep, a three-donger in the series um, and, and taking it away. Lube did really, really well in the first two sets of, what was it Thursday's match? That was, yeah. yes, game yeah. two was Thursday yeah. in Chiva de Nova Market, yeah. Yeah, I think they did great to, you know, go up 2 nothing, and I was like, man, this might be a series. We might, we might see this go the distance, but then Brentino fought back. Lube was able to take it in that fifth set, and then, man, Sunday's match was almost a snooze fest as it was all <laughs> Trentino just absolutely dominating with a beautiful three, nothing win. And they are one win away um, from taking their first Scudetto in a, in a number of years. I, I like what you said. Lube is lucky to even be in this position. They are, they are lucky. The series is not over. They are very lucky to have escaped with that win in match number two, because like you said, they went up two sets to none. They were actually up, I think 13 to 10 in the fifth and almost blew that. Like they had to win that one in overtime. Um, yeah. So that was definitely closer than it should have been. But sure enough, uh, they've extended the series of list a little bit. So uh, we can talk about. Let's let's talk about game two first because it was it was certainly more dramatic with the way that it finished. Um, to skip ahead to the match point that Lube won, 
how about Luciano DeCecco playing defense, eh? Going like uh, coll- hey. collapsing towards one of the boards, kick saving a ball, and then reading an off speed tip to scoop it up, and Nikolov put it away at sixteen fifteen to win the match. Uh, we give DeCecco a little bit of heat for being old and slow, but uh, he turned back the clock on that one. You know what? He can do it sometimes, right? DeCecco. DeCecco De- De- can get out there and play some defense, move around, especially in, in these in these points. You know, you don't win an Olympic medal. You don't win multiple Scudettos uh, without being able to hustle, especially in the playoffs. Um, I, I thought that was beautiful. I thought that might have been one of DeCecco's best games all playoffs. The way he fed Chininese. Chininese, what, 18 points. He was 17 for 19 this one, hitting 89%. He was just completely ridiculous. Just absolutely unconscious. And that was truly just due to the masterfulness of DeCecco uh, just setting him up. Of course, Chininese is, is fantastic as well, but someone needs to get him the ball. And it was very much shades of seasons past when you have that the Checo and Simone connection it's just not the same with Chininese right like I, th- I think Chininese needs a, a little bit more of a of a structured setter to play around whereas you know just the the free flowing that DeCecco and Simon have brought over the past few years was was fantastic. Nonetheless, Chinese was the MVP in that one. He had uh 18 points. Zaitsev was was pretty good as as well too. Um and to me, DeCecco just had a fantastic game. And you could tell that he was into it. He he, he plays defense right. when he's into it. Yes, he does. And we, we've talked several times this year about um, DeCecco and kind of Lube in general's ability sometimes to lock in as a team. Sometimes they do that and sometimes they don't. And you can pretty easily tell uh, which day is which. And um, yeah, that performance by Chin and Yeze was unbelievable. It would have been crazy if Lube had wasted that like a 17 for 19 game and have lost the match, which they very nearly did. Um, quite different from game three, which we'll talk about in a minute. Um, actually, I think we should just talk about it now. This was Lube not They're... locked in at all. And this was oh, Trent, this is Trentino at their best. And what we're hearing, and people are talking about it in the chat right now, is that there's a great chance that Ivan Zaitsev is done for the series. Uh, they've, they've been doing some tests on his hitting shoulder, some sort of muscular issue in his right shoulder, not looking good for game four. And even though Trentino has an injury to a starter of their own, Estresco Litsanas is done for the series with a back issue. Lube losing Zaitsev is a bigger loss, especially kind of being their heart and soul of the team, as we talked mm-hmm. about for a few weeks. If, if, if Zaitsev doesn't play game four, I think it's going to look a lot like what we saw in game three, basically an hour in a shower. Absolutely. I think just to go back to game two briefly, game two serving for Lube was like the, the serving matchup from game two to game three was a world of difference. Game two, you had Lube uh, going nine aces, 18 errors, which is a really good ratio. Trentino, 5 to 26. But then you move on to game three. That's eight aces and 12 errors for Trentino in a three-set match. It's just absolutely ridiculous. No aces and 12 errors for Lube. So that's truly just dictated um, dictated the, 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 match, the matches for me. Uh, but, but you're absolutely right, Rob. If Lube loses Zaitsev, if, if Trentino loses, not if, Trentino doesn't have this yet. Dahir has come in and done quite well. He yeah, serves he pretty tough. He 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 hits good balls out of the middle. Like he's he's a decent option, absolutely for any team. But if you lose Zaitsev, that means you need to bring in Gabby Garcia on the right. That means Nikolov has to pass and serve receive, and that's the team that went down 2-0 in the first round. 
right? That's the team that kind of like struggled their way through the regular season, not being the Lube that we we recognize, right? So I think that without um, Ivan Zaitsev, things are looking very, very grim. Because let's 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 be honest, Trentino absolutely dominated in this match. Like it Destroyed. was, it, it wasn't even close. They dominated in, in every facet, um, offensively from the baseline, blocking. They had nine blocks as well in this match compared to Lube, only two for Lube. It was just complete and utter destruction for Trentino. And when you're like I said you're taking the heart solo from Lube for the next match, yikes! That's when things get scary. Big, big trouble. Yeah, Lube's numbers in this in this third match were just downright terrible. You, you mentioned the servings. Your aces to 12 errors, uh, 5% perfect passing, 21% positive passing, aced eight times. That's not going to get it done. And the thing about losing Zaitsev, not only is he allowed Nikolov to step out of the passing pattern like you said, Zaitsev's also Italian. So if you lose that Italian spot in the lineup, you're going to have to do one of two things. You're going to either have to bench Chinineze, which is a bad option, or yeah. you're going to have to bench one of Yant or Nikolov for Mattia Botolo. Also a bad option. So, um, no, Or you, you can move Nikolov and line him up as a pure opposite and have Botolo and Yant be the outside hitters. Those are the options, and none of them are good without Ivan Zaitsev available, and it is sounding like that Zaitsev. Uh, match four is on Friday, by the way, Friday at 2.30 p.m. Eastern. Not looking like Ivan Zaitsev is going to play, and there's a great chance that that we'll be talking on next week's show about Trentino winning a Scudetto. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I want to go and say it's a guarantee. There's been a lot of upsets this year. Yes, there um, there's, there's been a lot of things that have happened throughout the season that have surprised even me. But right now, much like um, just a quick shout out to Pichens who won that third place match quite convincingly, 3-0, 3-0, over Milano. You could tell that Milano just ran out of steam. You yep. know, they did, they, they overextended themselves by beating Perugia. They took Lube to the limit. Like, it, they did so well. And then once they got to that third-place match, you can tell that there was just nothing left in the tank. For me, that's what it feels like Lube, with, with Lube at this point. Other than those two first sets um, in game number two, they just really haven't been in that series, all, all in this series, all, all of that much. Like, even in, even in game one, as I said, everyone on the, the Discord has been like, oh, Lube outplayed them. No, 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 no. I mean... I think maybe to the untrained eye, you're going to think that Lube played them. Um, but anyone who's coached ever is going to look at that match and be like, no, Trentino. Trentino does all the little things and all the things that you need to do. Whereas Lube does some off- uh, fantastic offensive things sometimes, but sometimes, right? I whereas wanna, Trentino's yeah. there it, point in, point out. Exactly. I want to, and to, on that point, I want to resurface a take that I had on last week's show. I want to see if you agree with it uh, now that we've got two more matches in the books. Trentino reminds me a lot of the Italian national team that won the world championship, not in that they are the best. They're playing the highest level volleyball we've ever seen, but that their attention to detail is amazing. And they bring team, they bring opposing teams levels down by uh, totally bending the match to Trentino's own style. The way that, that the Simone Gianelli led Italian men did to win the world championship last year. Does that seem right to you now that we've seen three matches in the series? I mean, it, it seemed right to me as when, when you said it last week, and it seemed right to me, you know, back at the beginning of the season in October. It's so hard that they're that they wouldn't be when you look at how many of their players come from that system. You've got Lavia Micheletto, who 
were on the court for for that uh, Italian team. Spertoli is the backup, and he's part of that system. Like the the Italian way, the way that national team plays bleeds into their national team, and I, I honestly think it might be one of the reasons why Perugia has struggled over the years because of their lack of Italian identity and the way that they just kind of pack in fantastic players and and even Lube up to a little bit. Like if if you look at who their Italians are, they don't have the top Italians anymore. It's, it's the guys who are leading the national team. Trentino does, right? And really seeing them succeed quite a bit for that reason right now. Yeah, very well said. So, yeah, like we said, match four is on Friday. See if Trentino can get that one done on the road, win their first Scudetto since, I think, I think 2015 was the last Scudetto that they won. Let me fact check that really quick. Uh, it has been a while. Yes, 2015. Trentino 2015, Modena 2016. It's been almost exclusively Lube ever since. So it uh, would be a very big opportunity for Trentino to win it on Friday. Or if, if it needs to go game five, Trentino needs to win it at home. Uh, maybe that could happen as well. I'm not sure what day that would be. Probably by next week's show, if I had to guess. So um, great chance that next week on next Tuesday's show, we're, we're talking about an Italian champion. Yeah, I, I, would, I would expect so too. I think Trentino has been so close so many times in, in the past recent years. And let's be honest, this is still one of the most storied um, organizations and clubs in world, in world volleyball. Um, even though they're, they're, they're somewhat newer to, to everything um, they bought their club from Ravenna at the beginning of the 2000s, 2001, I, I believe uh, to get their spot in a one. But since then they have been truly the cream of the crop and um, they continue to do it. I mean, my take Kaczynski, four aces on on uh on uh, sunday was just absolutely unreal and uh i don't uh, it would be it's hard for me to see them to go and lose at lube without ivan zaitsev yeah kaziski looks like a machine um and now I, I have said a couple times this season that while we we praise trentino's just their their club top to bottom organizational success which is a big deal we talk about it all the time they do have a little bit of a bridesmaid thing going on the last couple of years with their Champions League finals, but no, but no wins. A couple Scudetto finals, no wins. Um, this is their opportunity right here to win a major, major event, being the, being the Scudetto. This is it for Trentino, and they must take advantage of this opportunity, especially if Lube is not going to have Ivan Zaitsev. I think that they will, but uh, maybe if they sense that pressure of Oh man, uh, this this is ours for the taking. Maybe if that pressure gets to him, we could be talking about something crazy next week. But uh, I think this is Trentino's series. Yeah, I don't see that pressure getting to them. Like once again, this is a team full of guys who have won at that level before. A team of full of guys who have won world championships, who have won um, scudettos, who have won European championships. Um, it, it, once again, I think it's going to be very, very tough for Lula. But once in playing home, it, it, it maybe could happen. But then still, you have to go back to uh, Trentino for game number five after that. Yep, I agree. All right. Uh, speaking All right. of Italian championships, I think that we've got plenty to catch up on on the women's side in the Lega Holy oh, Femminile. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness is absolutely right. Um, because last week, Milano and Scandici still had to play their last game they did Milano squeezes it through I'm gonna call it an upset because I didn't think that they're gonna be able to do it I know on paper it's not an upset but I'm gonna I'm gonna be calling it an upset but wow 
to, to, to me, the way that they squeeze through to now be tied one, one in the series with Canigliano is absolutely insane. But let's go back um, to that first game against Scandici. Yeah. So this was nuts. Uh, Malonza went up two to zero, 25, 21, 25, 20, then uh, lost the third in overtime, lost the fourth by a lot. It was looking like uh, the, the discord was popping off as if we were going to see uh, the ultimate, the ultimate figure it out of the week award recipient uh, Malonza blowing a two nothing lead in game three of the semifinals. But sure enough, they figured it out. Um, I mean, MVP of that series for sure had to be Jordan Thompson. 57 oh, yeah. attempts is, is ridiculous. 26 for 57 on um, pretty good efficiency was very, very impressive. Um, both the Malonza middles, uh, Rafael Foley and uh, let's see, Stavanovic started that one and was really good. Both of them were awesome, and they were able to overcome some of the weaknesses in their outside hitter position and the weaknesses and the inconsistencies that we've been talking about all season long. But uh, we in the Discord were freaking out that Milano or Malonza was about to blow a 2 nothing lead, and fortunately for them and for uh, their online reputation of us clowning them on the show, they were able to rescue that. But that was it was kind of the perfect match for that series and for the season that these two teams have had. Yeah, and, uh, absolutely. Just like a, a back and forth, a, a tail. Like it honestly reminded me a little bit of game two of Lube versus versus Trentino. Yeah. Lube yeah. went up, you know, and they looked like they were dominating. You know, Trentino comes back. It's the same thing uh, for me in this one. Malonza dominates. Scandici comes back. Antropova was unconscious especially uh coming back in those ones she ended the, the match with with 27 points Zhu ting was was pretty solid as well not as efficient uh, offensively but still put up 18 points but you're right jordan thompson was just absolutely dominant and some good helps in the good help in the middle there for our, for malonza and so then malonza pretty quickly turns around and starts the finals against the giants that have been caneliano all year and on saturday uh malonza put up one hell of a fight what is that 15 11 in the fifth uh, about as close as it gets again jordan thompson this time 71 attempts is as much as we've seen in one of the top leagues all year, maybe ever. 71 attempts is completely insane. Not far behind her. Isabel Hawk was 65. This is a slugfest in game one. But the, the moral of the story that I took out of this first match wasn't the performance of the opposites. It was the terrible, terrible performance by every outside hitter on both teams. Kelsey Robinson, four for 31? Ugh. What is going on? Both teams were really bad on the outside, and everybody who came on off the bench uh, didn't help at all. No, yeah, four for thirty-one. That's horrible. A, that's an epic stat. Why line. did you keep setting her the ball? Yeah, to me, Alexa Gray has to still be injured and not hundred percent ready because, you know, I guess Kelsey Robinson was passing lights out. Like yeah, eighty-three percent positive, sixty-three percent perfect. That's unreal. But you're right. This one was an absolute slugfest. Two of the best opposites in the game um, going toe-to-toe. And this just, once again, reaffirms a little bit more that it, this feels like this feels like early 2010s men's volleyball, where you just have a big right side and you're just going to let them slug away. Because that, that's exactly what this is. As you said, 32 points for Hawk, 36 for Jordan Thompson. The fact that Jordan Thompson got set 71 times and only had one unforced error to me. That's pretty amazing. Is is pretty amazing. She did get blocked eight eight times, but that's going to happen when you're just picking up that much junk. But 
just not getting any help from the outside. Even Jordan Larson, eight for 23, not getting getting set that much. If you're getting set 23 times over the course of, like, she was the next most sets for, for Malonza, 23 times over the course of, of, uh, of a five-setter. That's just ridiculous. I mean, at least Canigliano spread that offense out a little bit. Uh, 30, you know, 30 some attempts for both Plummer and uh, Kelsey Robbins, then Cook, and 20, 24 in the middle for Lubian. But man, that that was just an absolute slugfest from two of the best in the game. Yeah, Marina Lubian, by the way, really good. I think she was the MVP in this first match. Uh, she's part of a pretty crazy mix of Italian middles. I have no idea what their national team is going to do this summer. Even like, even on this Canaliano team, they have four very capable starters, and three of them are Italian. Um, and so this one, it's good to see Sarah Far back healthy and playing well. So it was her and Lubian, but uh, Federica Squarcini is good. Robin de Cruyff is a veteran, like. That's a lot of good middle talent. I don't know exactly what they're going to do with that. But um, I think that Corneliano, honestly, was lucky to get away with this win with as bad as their outside hitters played. And that, I think, can parlay into the match today, yeah. where Malonza, at home, came out and three-donged what we thought to be the best team in all of Italy, which I still think that they are. But I haven't seen Corneliano look this clueless since the Fenerbahce series in Champions League, and that was just pitiful. Again, the struggling, struggling of Corneliano's outside hitters. Also, Malonza played basically a perfect game today. There's a lot to break down with this one. Yeah, absolutely. Like it was a really, really good game um, for Malonza. 19 points in three sets for Jordan Thompson is very, very strong. Six aces uh, on the day, six blocks as well. Just that serve and uh, block game for Malonza, really, really strong. And honestly, I didn't see this coming. Like no, I, me neither. I, I, I was keeping an eye on this game and I was, I was watching it and I just kept on like kept on looking at the score and was like, what is going on? And to be honest, like I kept on expecting Canigliano, like they're going to wake up. They're going to wake up. Something has to happen. Something needs to go. And they just didn't. Malonza kept the pressure on really, really nice. And other than Isabel Hawk with 21 points, how can your next top score only have four? Insane. How? Insane. How? I mean, like half the team scored four. <laughs> Five <but> different players. <laughs> six? Six even. Six, Sarah six Farr, players. Lubian, Gennari, DeCroif, um, uh, Scriccini, Robinson Cook, Plummer, you know. One. One for 13. Three errors. One for 13. Like, my goodness, what is happening to Canigliano right now? Um, and for Malonza to figure it out, they're figuring it out at the right time right now. Yeah, they played a perfect game today. They really did. Uh, Miriam Silla was the MVP. She was awesome. She was everywhere. Alessia Oro, the setter, had seven points, outscored everybody on Caneliano's team except for Isabel Hawk. Yeah, she had two aces, three kills, and two blocks. That's incredible. Um, great time for Malonza to figure it out. I'm not convinced that, that that's that's sustainable for them. We've seen their roller coaster of a season, but I think the the, the question marks here need to be talked about for Caneliano's outside hitters. What is happening here? Seriously, this reminds me of the Fenerbahce series when we're like, oh, they're, they're going to figure it out. They're Caneliano. They're Caneliano. They've been here before. They're going to figure it out. And then they just didn't, and they got steamrolled in five sets in that series. And this one was the same way. Like you said, we were expecting Caneliano to figure out, and they, they, they just didn't. How do you fix this outside hitter problem that they've got going on right now? That that's tough because all three of your outside hitters 
are in the are in the negatives. Plummer was a minus six. Robinson Cook was a minus one. Same thing with Janari. So one of them needs to to get up into the positives, right? They need to start start playing some positive volleyball. And I don't know if it's the setting from Volage or is it that Milano has just completely planned so well against them, but they're just not getting the job done. Like they need to start putting away some balls. And at the very least, as I said, get into um, some positive volleyball because being negative in the finals like this just just isn't it just isn't going to work, especially with the way that Jordan Thompson is putting putting the ball away. And we're going to start seeing Isabel Hawk get tired. I, I really think that in the next match we're going to start start to see her get tired because once again, forty two attempts um, in, in uh, yeah, <laughs> crazy. Like she has forty two attempts and the team had one hundred and twelve. Like that's that's insane. I mean, uh, on the other side, Thompson has forty attempts and the team has one hundred and seven. So that's even a little bit more. But they're they're picking it up in other ways. They're serving tough. They're blocking tough. Right, twelve points in total from the serve serve and block for for Malonza. That's really strong, and it's only three um, for Canigliano. So they need to find some ways to start to start imposing themselves back on Malonza. And it's weird, like you haven't seen them be in the situation except for the one situation that that you uh, mentioned rob uh their their series against venerbache it's yeah, it's very very weird and it's not like putting new people in off the bench is necessarily going to fix the problem like like janari is basically a watered down version of robinson cook in terms of her play style she's more of an l2 passer defender don't set her that many balls and then alexa gray we did see her very briefly today which was a nice little spark. She came and went two for six, and then um, we didn't hear from her again. Like she's a little more of a scoring type, but mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't really know what you can do here. I also did see in the Discord. And I don't know if there's confirmed reports about this, but I, I heard somebody in the Discord say that Voloz is hurt, and mm. that wouldn't surprise me. Just looking at the way she moved around today, uncharacteristic, like weird mistakes like over rotating setting tight on balls really badly located bump sets which is a a strength of hers usually so we'll have to dig into that and see if there's a some italian media outlet reporting on her health but this this is not the the gimme of a series now that we thought it was going to be can malonza keep this level up huge question mark can Corneliano figure it out like a a secondary score beside hawk also a huge question mark it's a, a lot more compelling than i thought it would be yeah, absolutely. I wouldn't be surprised if maybe we see a uh, Catherine Plummer on the bench in instead of uh, Alexa Gray. I mean, that may be a little bit of bias and homerism <laughs> uh, on that. But you know, like you said, Alexa Gray is known to score points. I know she's coming off that injury, um, but she can put the ball away. Um, and maybe you just go f- f- to her from the beginning because Catherine. Catherine Plummer has not been it. And like no. once again, we bring up Catherine Plummer who struggles. In, in, gut, in the gut check time, you know, and I've been, you know, I know I've been tough with on her the past few seasons, um, especially with Team USA last summer, but she like she's been really fantastic this season and I was ready to eat my words. But sure enough, you come to the finals and she stunk like she has been really, really bad well, Two bad games. So uh, huge, huge opportunity for really everybody in both in both teams, every position, both teams. Um, now, especially for Malonza, they have a lot more life in this series than even maybe they thought that they might have at this point. So they go back to Caneliano. Uh, what, what one's game three? Uh, let's, let's check on that. Game three is the 11th. So that is Thursday. 
and then game four pretty quickly they turn around on um on saturday so uh two in pretty quick succession there we're going to get at least four games in this series um and then this this really could head to game five if that like the the malone's a home crowd today was incredible If, if they can put up that sort of an atmosphere again in game four even if Malone's is down two to one at that point. This could go five, and I never would have picked that at the beginning of the year. No, me neither. Not at all. I mean, uh, at no point uh, this season did I think that any team could be competing with Kinigliano. So that just, to me, more and more smells like there's something up with Voloj because she has been the linchpin of this team consistently, not only this year, but for so many years. Right. And uh, just one more footnote about the Lega Volley Feminile. They do not play a third-place series. So uh, as far as Champions League's bursts goes, it goes down to the, the two teams that tied for third who finished better in the regular season. That was Scandici. So Scandici, uh, after winning CV Cup this year, they go back to Champions League next year. All right. So we have a, we have a point in the chat from our Turkish friend Berkay that I like and that is a good segue into what, what we want to talk about next. And he says that watching the Lega Volley Feminile the last week or so just shows him and kind of me as well that the Sultan Larligi in Turkey has the world's best outside hitters. So the Sultan Larligi, there is a ton to catch up with. Obviously, Turkey, they have the Women's, women's volleyball has been insane. Ridiculous. Absolutely this, insane over the past week. This has been the nuttiest week ever. Part of it is because the, the Turkish League still has so much like rushing to catch up to do because it took about a month off from the earthquake. And now they're playing playoff games every other day. Literally every other day, there have been playoff games played. Starting back last Wednesday, Fenerbahce came out and beat Vakif Bank 3-1. to one. That's something that none of us were expecting after having just lost the Turkish Cup final to them like three days before. Fenerbahce completely turns it around. Uh, and speaking of great outside hitters, you have clearly the top two in the world in Gabi and Arena Fedorotseva featured in that series. Uh, we, we, let's... Let's talk about this match first before we, we, we move on because there were there, so much to talk about. There are matches every other day. We should first talk about Fenerbahce beating Vodka Bank, which nobody expected. No, and I mean, it's so poetic the way that they did it too. You know, down 0-1 in the series, needing the golden set. It's just shades of Champions League. You, you absolutely have to love it. Um, and just, just, just the mental fortitude for Fenerbahce to me because – they had such a, a, a high up in earlier in the year and looks like they were rolling. It looked like they were one of the best teams in the world, truly, uh, after adding Melissa Vargas and they get knocked out, lose game one. And we were talking about it and it was just like, yo, like I, I think Vakif Bank is back, back on this. And it's going to be Vakif Bank versus Azashabasha, just like in the Champions League finals. But Fenerbahce, they found the will to win, they figured it out, um, and now they're on a, a three-game win streak. This was just textbook, and the way that they are spreading the offense out as well um, through everyone, everyone is getting a piece, is is just beautiful. It's, it's a fascinating, fascinating turnaround for a league like the Turkish League, which we've known all year to be a three-team league. Think about it. Fenerbahce won the Super Cup. Nobody won the Club World Championship because that went to Caneliano. Vakif Bank won the Turkish Cup. 
It's Zaj Basha went undefeated in the regular season and took the one seed. And then Fenerbahce now in the fi- uh, leading the final, which we'll talk about in a minute. They're not even playing the Champions League final next weekend. That's Vakit Bank versus Zaj Basha. It's insane. So this, I want to go back to the very first match where Vakit Bank, or sorry, Fenerbahce beat Vakit Bank 3-1. to one. The, the, the big story here was Paula Egonu negative efficiency, 9 for 32 with 11 errors. That's not going to get it done. Fenerbahce as a team wasn't even overwhelmingly good. Um, only well, six aces to 13 errors is pretty good serving numbers, and that's classic Fenerbahce applying a lot of service pressure. But Vakifank's not going to succeed when Egonu is, is negative efficiency. That just is what it is. But the real drama came in the second leg of that series. Vakifank won 3-0, to zero, like, Easily 23 17 21, but Fenerbahce somehow took revenge for that Champions League. They took revenge for the Turkish Cup and they they pull something out of their hat to win a golden set 15 to 11, and that changes everything in, in all women's volleyball. Yeah, I mean, when you look at uh the first leg, like the, the Fenerbahce win, and you look at their offensive output, only three errors as a team, Fenerbahce. That's like only three unforced errors. They got blocked seven times, but only three unforced errors was ridiculous. Considering that Ogonu on the other side had eight herself, fifteen in 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 total. So forty seven percent hitting uh, uh, hitting not efficiency, but just hitting percentage versus five. That's going to do that every single time. And you know what? Vakbank really cleaned up their act in game number two. But the thing is with this Fenerbahce team, they're so offensively offensively powered. And if you get like there's so many, there's so many players on their team that can hurt you in a in a in a fifty in a in a set to fifteen like that, like they're so lethal. And to me, it kind of seemed like Vakbank took their their foot off the pedal. You know, they're just gonna coast into that to that gold golden set match. That's yeah. That's the thing about Fenerbahce, like you said, is that they they can just catch fire. I'm I'm pulling up the I'm seeing if I can pull up the stats for set four only, or sorry, the golden set only. And unfortunately, you can't. You can do the yeah. the three sets of the normal match, but not the golden set, which is which is a bummer. But the, that that's what it takes. Um, you can catch fire from the service line. You can go on one run, and that can change your entire season. And sure enough, I mean, Vakif Bank rolled in with with three nothing momentum. And then lost a golden set. I, we should do. We should dig back the last couple of years and see, like, see if we can correlate the result of the match into the result of the immediately following golden set. Because it seems to me like this does kind of happen, where a team can get steamrolled in a match and then immediately turn around and win a golden set. I remember Zaxa did it either last year or the year before, like in one of their Champions League runs. I think it was two years ago, the first one. I'm pretty sure they lost 3-0 to Lube Chivadinova and then won the immediately following golden set to advance. I, I, and I know that Nak Rusolare did it um, to beat, I think, Modena in CV Cup this year. Like That happens more than it should. We should dig into that. Uh, for Piacenza, I think. It was, it was maybe Piacenza, maybe that was it because because they because Moden won the, the CE Cup. They did. Um, I met in the semis when uh, when Russellari beat Moden. I think it might have happened there too. Oh but. oh yeah yeah you're right. Um, but yeah, it's. I think it has something to do with just you know like like if you're a team that just has to win the golden set. I wonder if you're just thinking about that golden set. You know, mm-hmm. all you're thinking is about that race to 15 because yep. it's way easier in your head to win a, a race to 15 to then to win three sets to 25. Um, and so I wonder almost if it's like a, if it's a bait and switch, 
right? Do you show one game plan for three sets and then you show a completely different game plan for for the fourth set for for that golden set and just in terms of defense and blocking and, and how you're serving make that other team feel good and then shut the door for them for that golden set be a risky play but it, it does make sense when you talk about it like that when you win that first match and that's the advantage you have knowing that you at least have a golden set to fall back on but it is crazy this Fenerbahce turnaround because we were talking on last week's show some of the turmoil that seemed to be following them around we had people talking in the chat about Zoran Terzic and Ada Erdem going at it publicly at like all these these stupid organizational arguments that have popped up in women's volleyball this year and then sure enough they turn it around they win a golden set to knock Vakif Bank out of the Turkish playoffs. And then they promptly start the final series so, so fast. And already two matches have been played in the finals. It's nuts. Sunday, Fenerbahce beats Adzajabasha 3-1. to one. Earlier today, Fenerbahce again beats Adzajabasha 3-2. to two. And in a best-of-five series, Fenerbahce has one hand around the trophy and three chances to win the entire regular season. It's crazy. Yeah, I mean, to go back to... Fenerbahce and their organizational turmoil um, from the from earlier in the semifinals and and uh, leading up to this, I do think that to me is a team that addressed it. Right, that to, that to me is is not a team that tried to sweep it sweep it under the rug. They didn't try to you know like Scandici like it's it's clear that uh, Barbellini and Pietrini just never never got on the same page to me. Anyways, but. For me, it's clear that Fenerbahce got the team in the room, got the executives all there, and they just hashed it out. You know, they had a come to Jesus moment, and now they're all on the same page. And sometimes that works, sometimes that doesn't. But when it does work, I feel like you have a, a, a powerful feeling of team unity, of everyone going in the same direction. And because that's what it feels like for, for Fenerbahce, like they've got on the same page, they're going in the same direction and they haven't looked back. And right now, man, like it, it's almost like to me, like Exacerbasha just hasn't been, hasn't been challenged in a while. Right. And, and Fenerbahce has had, had to slug through so many tough series, especially in Champions League playing Canigliano and then playing Vakif Bank, whereas Exacerbasha just kind of floated through everything, hasn't really been challenged and now they're paying for it. Yeah, they are. So Zajabasha, by the way, they got past THY in the semifinals, no problem. That was a three to one, three to one. Um, but now we, we, they also have a Champions League final to prepare for a week from Sunday. They got to play Vodka Bank. But now they're right now their backs are completely against the wall, down 0-2, having gone undefeated in the regular season. And watching the match today, at least, which was an amazing match, by the way, um, there's. Something about the Maya and Yanovich, Tiana Boshkovich combination that doesn't look right to me. Like I've been watching Maya and Yanovich set for a couple of years and she has maybe the best set of hands I've ever seen. And on a female setter, she's unbelievable technically, but th there are some head scratching decisions that she makes. Some some of the, the those telegraphed, like very obvious sets to Boshkovich in particular, which it's you, you. It's hard to criticize setting one of the best players in the world, but the the, the Zajabasha offense doesn't look. It, it looks. It feels disjointed and and broken and sort of not at all smooth. Where even Fenerbahce, who we talked about as having one of the most simplistic offenses in women's volleyball that we've ever seen, they look a lot cleaner. They're even set in the middle a little bit. Uh, they're 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 middles. Uh, Ada Erdem and whoever the other Turkish middle is. 
I think it's Asli Kalach. Yeah, she's been good. They've been better than the Adzaja Basha middles. They were better than the Vakith Bank middles in the semis. It's it's weird to see it like this. And now it, it's 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 gut check time for Adzaja Basha and sort of a decision making time in their franchise. What are they going to focus on this next week? If they if they want to win the Sultan Ligi, they need to win three matches in a row, and then they have to play for a Champions League final. Yeah, that that's tough, and it does seem like they're black back against the wall. And you're right. There's just something weird with this offense. I don't know what it is about Turkey, um, where they are just completely disregarding the middle altogether. But there's just no chemistry uh, between Ujenovic and her middles. And I think that's really is 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 the is the worst part um, for Boscovich is the fact that there's nothing really pulling her away. Everyone knows the ball is going to her. Right. Whereas on the on the other side of the net, you have three outsides that you could legitimately give the ball to at any point in time. Three right? bangers, three like big absolute high bangers. ball bangers, hundred percent. And Veronka Veronkova has has done an all right job, but they're just not giving her that much volume, right? She had 20, like, it, what was it? On, uh, yeah, today's today's match, she had 25 attempts. Like, 25 attempts for me, and you're kind of that that second option in a five-set match is not a lot. Yeah, um, you need a little more than that. But yeah. Also, we got to talk about Hande Baladin being bad. One for eight, two errors. Yeah. Salih Shahin comes in off the bench and is is better. We've, I mean, that's been the story of Adzajabasha and of the Turkish national team is inability to find a productive Turkish outside hitter consistently. But it, like, it, is it too late? Does Adzajabasha have a chance to bring this back after going undefeated in the regular season? Maybe they need to they they need to start getting that. Like, obviously, they need to win the next game, and they need to do so emphatically. In yeah. in my opinion, they got they really have to wring a little bit of of soul out of uh, out of Fenerbahce and kind of take away any of their belief. Um, because if they're able to squeak away like a five setter and Fenerbahce still comes away from the match, match feeling good about themselves, it's done in game number four, in, yep. in my opinion. So they really need to go down there and, and throw the hammer down. I'm not entirely sure how. Um, the obvious answer is just to give more balls to Boscovich, but I don't <laughs> know if that's a, an actual answer, just especially. I'm not sure that is the answer. I actually think it, it kind of needs to be the opposite. I, I might think about a setter change. I, I might think about Elif Shaheen off the bench. I, I think that then she's played this year. She is, she's coming off the bench, and it's, it's worked for parts of the year. And maybe just a different mindset, maybe a little more middle involvement, maybe um, a little jolt of energy and confidence. Who knows? I, I think that like, you're never going to pull Tiana Boscovich ever. Right. So if, if the I offense know. in this next match, you're going to have to assess pretty quickly if the offense is working in this next match. It's on Thursday, by the way, um, 1230 Eastern. You're going to have to assess that offense pretty quickly. And if it's looking like you're just going to lose the series, I think you make a set of change. I think that's the first thing you've got to do. I think you really, really need to focus on your serve receive, right? They have been outpassed uh, consistently True. by Fenerbahce. In, in Which this doesn't series. make sense because that is not a strength of Fenerbahce's. No, it it absolutely isn't. But they've just been out there and balling like Hande Baladin, not great. Uh, Saliha ha- wasn't fantastic either. Like they're going after the libero, um, and 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 Voronkova uh, as well. And Voronkova, twenty four percent positive, seven percent perfect. That's not gonna That's, do it. It's 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 just not gonna do it right. So it's really really hard for Exhaustion to even 
let the middle swing and, and, and release them at all because they're just out of system so, so often. So for to me, I think you would need to stabilize the serve receive first. Maybe you bring in Boscovich and have a four person serve receive whenever you can. Yeah. Um, but yeah, other, otherwise I think, uh, yeah, to, to me, it all comes down to that, that first touch. Serving and serve reception. Yep. Serving and serve reception, the name of the game in volleyball at every level. And I'm surprised we haven't brought up this number yet today. Five sets, 15 aces for Fenerbahce. 15. That's crazy. Crazy numbers. Five for Federer you know, and and that's the thing is if if they can just break that serving, like that's exactly what happened with with Vakif Bank in the uh, in the semifinals, and if they could just break that serving, I know it's tough. And then they might have a chance. Right. Yeah. Thirteen aces as well for Fenerbahce in the four setter in game one of this series, and that's been their path to success. Can they keep it up and win one more match? Uh, uh, I guess we'll see. Starting on Thursday, so that that's been extremely spicy. A ton. Like four matches of, of ridiculous volleyball in the Turkish league since our last show. Also, um, like it was crazy. Last week, we had just talked about the Turkish Cup. We hadn't even started the semifinals yet at that point. Now, already, the third place series is over. <laughs> Vakif yeah, Bank, after losing to Fenerbahce, they beat THY twice, uh, including earlier today. So, Vakif Bank takes third. They will play Champions League next year. That series is already over. Now, Vakif Bank has nothing to worry about for a week and a half except the Champions League final. It's Ajabasha, different story. So yeah. keep that in the back they, of your head as well. They just get to sit there and, and watch all these matches. Rob, before we close out this this chapter of the show, if Fenerbahce wins on Thursday, who's your MVP? Ooh. And either Fedorovtseva or Vargas would be easy picks. You could, you could like just stack up their numbers in the three-match series, and whoever's better, you can give it to them. But also, I think Makris deserves some credit. Uh, the setter for Fenerbahce deserves a little bit of credit here. Not doing anything too crazy. We talked about Fenerbahce's offense being simple, but making very few mistakes. You brought up earlier Fenerbahce's lack of unforced errors. I think the setter deserves a little bit of credit for that. And uh, just putting the ball in decent spots because they're out of system a decent amount. Just putting the ball high, putting it the right distance off the net inside the sideline for people to take rips at the ball. Yeah, I, I think that's a safe bet. I think I would still have to go with Federitseva the way that she's dominated from the baseline. Like she was a plus sixteen in today's match. Um, she's just been fantastic. Um, but yeah, that's it's it's tough. Like whew, that Fenerbahce team has been playing really, really good. Yeah. So Zajabasha backs against the wall. We'll see if they can pull it off. And before we move uh, on to another team with their backs against the wall, that being Zaxa, which I'm very excited to talk about. Before we talk about that. We got to talk about that volleyball.store ever. Let the people know you got the spicy volleyball logo on over there. Of course, this is the OG. If That's you've right. been around the, the Discord, OG. this this is the OG. Um, the spicy I remember, hot pepper. I remember I made it drunkenly one night um, as kind of a joke, and I threw it into the Discord and expected to get clowned upon. And then everyone loved it. And so that's that's what we've gone with. So if you want, you can go grab one of these and all of our other great merch over at that volleyball.store. You get 15% off when you use the code SPICY uh, for, for the spicy hot pepper. And uh, it's just a nice little way to uh, to support us, you know. Pick it's, up some good stuff. There's a, a big summer of volleyball events coming up very, very soon. And you're going you're gonna to want to look fly. You're going to want to pick up some of this stuff. And uh, 
especially um, if, if you happen to see us at some certain events, which we'll talk about the next couple of weeks. Uh, if we see you wearing the merch out, out in the real world, that's going to be even cooler. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's the, the best in my opinion. The, I love the that. I, I love that. Big, big, big shout out to two jacks who loves wearing his, uh, his, uh, his nine by nine and, and spicy volleyball gear out uh, as he's going to referee games across the OUA. So love, love, love to see it. I want to see a spicy volleyball on like, I don't know what, what, what your officials wear up in Canada D- depends down here in the States as well, but I want to see spicy volleyballs on officials uniforms. That'd be sweet. That would be sweet. We should put a, put together some games or some runs and that would be like the badge that they wear is the spicy volleyball badge. That's a great idea. All right. Yeah, that um, would be good. Before we move on, it's time for everybody's favorite segment. It's time for Where's Daddy? Uh, I love this segment so much. This is the highlight of my week, getting to hide Daddy Stankovich in one of our assets here on the show. So uh, maybe you, maybe Daddy Stankovich has already appeared. Maybe he hasn't appeared yet. And remember, if you find Daddy Stankovich, you comment on the video after the stream is over, the timestamp of where he is, and you can get a shout-out next week on the following week's show. So last week, this is probably my best work so far. As, as, as we're about to talk about Zaxa versus Yashemsky in a couple minutes, but um, first I, I hid Daddy Stankovic in in this photo right here uh, of the the you know the lineup there between Zaxa and Yashemsky before a match. If you don't see if you don't see Daddy Stankovic, let's zoom in. Let's zoom in just a little bit more. Ah, oh, there he is <laughs> on a friend of the program, Eric Shoji. Uh, he looks a little bit different, and there's Daddy Stankovic in last week's show. So um, we had a couple people get Daddy Stankovic. Our friend Kiro Neri was the first to comment it, and then LFC Luke 98 also found Daddy Stankovic basically immediately, and I think they both beat reigning champ Bassi Lassie in the, in the race to find Daddy Stankovic. So um, that's one of the, the best things that we do here on the 9 by 9 if you find Daddy Stankovic, comment where he is in the, uh, the timestamp after the show is over. I really liked this one. <laughs> I hope that Eric happened to have watched this show and noticed uh, that he looked a little bit different in this particular photo. <laughs> I, I hope so as well. Although, given how well his team has been doing recently, I don't think he's going to be watching too much. I think he's been watching a lot of film. Yeah, uh, also, yeah, guys, this, film. this is going to be a great time just to remind you, if you like what you're seeing, you like what you're watching, just give us a nice little like, you know? Give us one of those thumbs up uh, for for the show. Um, and we we did get to we did get to like ninety something likes on last week's show. After uh, yeah, ninety two. That's pretty good. Uh, we talked yeah. about this is the eighty one square meters of the best volleyball coverage on the internet. We want eighty one likes on every Eric week's show. Stankovic. <laughs> Eric Stankovich. Yep, there he is. That's there's, too good. There's Daddy. So uh, uh, we awesome. need, if if you like the Daddy Stankovich segment, thumbs up the video. Yeah, absolutely. I think happen. I think at a certain point we're gonna have to have a scoreboard on there too, because Bassi Lassie has been uh, has been dominating. He was pretty quick on there <laughs> on it this one as well. And there he is so. in the chat. Yeah, all all three people who are who have been our da- uh, where's daddy participants so far are chirping each other in the chat. This is fantastic. Love it. Love love to see it. Yeah, give this video <laughs> a like. Uh, let us know uh, what you think, and if you don't like it, just let us know in the chat. And that'll boost, a, boost the algorithm for us uh, uh, as as well. Good thinking. Uh, all right, Rob. Let's move on to another spicy series. Um, moving on to oh, Daddy Stankovic. Just, just absolutely God, beautiful. He's, he's beautiful. Moving on to the men's Plus Liga finals. And I will be the first one to admit I have would did not expect for what to be happening, for what is happening to be happening because just Yebshi Weigel has just been 
absolutely playing out of their minds. Last On last week's show, Rob, we talked about there's going to be need to be two factors for JSW to take it to Zaxa. First of all, Stefan Boyer needed to play the best ball of the season. Check. He's, yep. he's, he's been absolutely unreal. And for now, needs to be unreal as well. And hot take here, Rob. I think as good as Boyer has been, for now has been better. That you can easily make that case, and that, that's that's been just sort of the shock factor of this series so far is just how well Yashemsky Vengil has played. So here's game one um, uh, at JSW's place last Wednesday, a three dong win, 25 20, 25 20, 25 23. Then they turn it around on the road at Zaxa and beat him three to one. So Yashemsky can taste the title. They've got three chances to win one match and hoist the season trophy, which is insane. Here are some stat lines, and I think this is exactly what Everett's talking about. Through two matches, right? Stefan Boyer, game one, 10 for 18, 39% efficiency. Pretty good. Tomas Fornal, 9 for 14, 56% efficiency. Even better, right? Moving on to game two. Stefan Boyer, 17 for 27, 48% efficiency. That's terrific. Tomas Fornal. 18 for 29, 55% efficiency. Those two guys, but Fornal in particular, have been absolutely unbelievable. They've been the two best individual players in the series. That's exactly what we said was going to have to happen. Also, we said that JSW was going to have to be great from the service line, and they have been. Oh, 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 they they have been. been. 15 aces for only 28 errors so far in, in, this, two season, matches. in, in this series. Six and fourteen in game one, nine and fourteen in, in game number two, and Boyer has been leading that charge. He has eight aces, eight aces, four in each match. Um, four he went four aces for fifteen serves in match number one, uh, and then four aces on twenty serves in match number two. He only has eleven errors, eight aces, eleven errors from Stefan Boyer, and man, it's just been such a good time. For, for these two players to, to figure out their match. And like we saw Boyer be dominant earlier in the season and we were like, oh man, this, this is looking good. And then he started doing his Boyer things. You know, the strip clubs <laughs> were calling. So now <laughs> it's clear that uh, Ben Tuniuti did, as I said last show, keep him out of the clubs, keep him at home. And he has just been rolling. And it's, it's almost been anticlimactic in a way, just the way that JSW has just been steamrolling Zaxa in this series. Yeah, it hasn't been like Zaxa's been bad. They've just been being beaten handily by a better team in these two yeah. matches. Like, Zaxa's number's not bad. Kachmarek's been fine. Bednors has been fine. Suifka's been fine. Their reception numbers are fine, with the exception of getting aced a bunch, because, yeah, Shemsky is just playing at another level right now. There's nothing that Zox has been able to do to slow them down. And, well, I'd say the one statistical area where they've really struggled is the service line. One ace to 17 errors in game one, three aces to 17 errors in game two. And if you compare four versus 34 versus, what did you say, like 15 to 28, that is lopsided a serving matchup, as you're going to see. Yeah, it's it's for me, it's from the baseline, but that also offensive efficiency when you're looking for these two matches 43% efficiency for JSW in match number one 34 for Zoxa in match number two they did improve a little bit into match number two 42% for Zoxa but so did JSW they bumped that number up to 47% 47% efficiency is absolutely unreal as a team for, it's so spicy and to me 
that's why I think my my stars for this series have to go. You've got I've got Fornell number one, Boyer number two, and then last week we talked about Yuri Glider, and I think he's been fantastic, and you can tell that he's out there and he's he's being the most rock. But the way that Bentonuti has been slinging the rock, has been running this offense, there's no way you have this that like your your efficiency is in the 40s, almost in the 50 percentile without your your setter being lights out. So for me, Ben Benucci has to be that 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 third star so far for JSW in the series. I, I like the, the three stars thing from the, that hockey does all the time in their games. I like that. And we, like you talked about on last week's show, uh, the obvious weakness of having Ben Benucci as your starting setter is he's a gigantic blocking liability. But if you serve the ball this well, it doesn't yeah. matter. You're you're always out of system. You're like Zaxa is always out of system. You can do the thing that Tony Uti did with Zaxa and does with France sometimes, where he'll just pull off. He won't even bother blocking in out of system situations. You'll just bring the other two guys and put up double blocks everywhere, even on the opposing outside hitter. Like that's the sort of thing that Yashemsky can do when they serve the ball this well. I think that's the difference. It's also why I think that this series is not over yet because match number three is tomorrow. Uh, it's Wednesday at 2.30 p.m. Eastern. Serving is volatile. You aren't going to go, what is it, like 9 and 14, 9 aces to 14 errors every match. That's not always going to happen. It is very possible for Zaxa tomorrow to go in and improve their serving, for Yashemsky to cool off serving a little bit, and for it to be a lot more competitive, and Zaxa could easily win it on just you know, just kind of narrowing that serving margin just a little bit because it's been so lopsided so far. This series is not over yet. I promise you. No, absolutely. And then we've seen so many times that Zoxa can wake themselves up, and this is starting to be one of the best rivalries in volleyball. Just it's be how many awesome. times it's it's. I I absolutely love it. And in the same way, like Turkey and Turkey on the women's side and Poland on the men's side really starting to for me to question whether or not Italy is the best league in the world anymore. Just the way that, that the, the, these, this final has gone is just, I, I absolutely love, love watching it. And I've been lukewarm on JSW because I, I, we saw all them be really hype at the beginning of the season and really, really cool off, but they've really picked it up and they've just been absolutely fantastic. I think they've won uh, eight matches in a row right now and they've just been bombing through these playoffs and they look deadly but you're right Zoxa is still Zoxa this is right. still one of the best cl- best clubs in the world with some of the best athletes in the world and you can't leave like if JSW JSW needs to to win this series Zoxa is not going to give it to them agreed agreed I, I think whoever's going to win this series is going to earn the heck out of it I think I like the point you made about comparing the Polish men's and the Turkish women's leagues to their Italian counterparts I don't think it's even debatable right now that Zaxa or Yashemsky would stomp Trentino or Lube on the men's side in Italy. I mean, Zaxa, Zaxa did it, literally. They literally did beat Trentino. Um, I think they played him four times and beat him three this year. So okay. Okay. that we, we've seen that, and Yashemsky right now is taking it to Zaxa, no problem. And, uh, I mean, like everyone's obviously knows, this is a preview of the Champions League final. Like, we're going to get at least two more matches between these two teams, maybe as many as four in the next week and a half, which is outrageous. I'm not mad about that at all. Not I'm, at all. I'm, I'm really not. I, I love watching these two teams go toe-to-toe, and I'm really excited what Zoxa can bring to the table for, for that next match because I think that that's going to be important for them. I, yeah. I, I really do. 
Tomorrow um, is a huge one. You've got to get in the Discord. I don't know if we have plugged the Discord yet, but it is the best uh, online volleyball community in the world. The link is in the description. and You want to join it for days like tomorrow because um, a potential series season clinching match for Yashemsky is a big deal. So get in the Discord. We will make sure you know where to watch the games. Um, tomorrow is going to be huge. Yeah, it's absolutely massive. I won't unfortunately be watching. I got to work. Um, but uh, that's why I keep keep the Discord up, Discord updated so I can right. I can follow along vicariously through y'all. Rob, there's a question here in the chat. Um, if Zaksa and JW split the Polish and the seed uh, Champions League trophies, who's the ultimate winner for the season? Great question. I mean, that literally happened two years ago when Zaksa won Champions League and Yashemski won the league title. Uh, I don't know what would really break the tie at that point. Maybe like the Polish Cup or Super Cup or something like that. Um, I don't know. We would have to ask the players. I, I figured I, I certainly think that Champions League is the more prestigious thing to win. But uh, winning a pol- like winning the entire Polish League, especially beating the same team that you're going to play in Champions League in the final series of the Plus Liga, that holds a lot of weight as well with as good as the Polish league has been all year and as competitive as it's been at the top. So I don't know how to answer that, but you people talk about like, if you win a champions league that immediately puts you like, if you're a starter, like a serious contributor for a champions league winning team, that it puts you right up there with the bet with like all time, great players of your generation. If you're out there winning champions leagues, I think that's the one that has the longer legacy effect. Yeah, I, I agree with that as well. And especially if Zaksa wins the third Champions League. That would be that. crazy. I don't think they'll care at all what happens in the Blues League if they win three no. Champions Leagues in a row. Uh, absolutely not. Where is tomorrow's match? Is, that, is it at Zaksa? It's, or... it's at JSW. I'm pretty sure they're just alternating here because the, the first match was at Nishemsky. The second match was in Kenjirjan. So I think they're going back uh, to the higher seat at home tomorrow. That is a great home crowd. I, wow! I mean, it would wow. be it would be crazy if this if this series ended up three to zero. It would be crazy. So you're gonna have to watch it. You're gonna have to tune into Discord. And you're gonna have to find a way to watch. I want to see it go five. Me too. I really, I, I, I really, really do. I want more. <laughs> and then whoever gets MVP for CEV needs to block Xerxes' number. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't don't let don't let your surf get self get cursed by the Jerry Jones of volleyball just for winning the Champions League. Don't go play for Perugia. Don't do it. <laughs> no, absolutely not. Is that's 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 the true ender to this to us to a, a career who's going to play for Perugia right now. Oh. Uh, but yeah, this is this has just been fantastic, and I I love to see it. I love to see how good. Um, this going on i, I want to see it go five I, I i really truly do because the level is so high the level so of volleyball high. is so crazy high i'm sure like, if the cev actually like watched volleyball and understood like what was going on on the court they would be salivating for how good their super finals is going to be on the men's side considering considering the governing body for the european continent of volleyball doesn't actually know anything about volleyball they probably don't even know that the series is going on but uh if you know you know and we we know here on the men's side yeah, absolutely. Burke, I come and welcome to Perugia for now. For now for <laughs> Don't now, speak that into existence. For now, statistically, has been the best Polish outside this season in, in, in any league. So just 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 putting that out there. He might be getting a phone call from Cersei uh, sometime <laughs> soon. 
<laughs> All right, Rob. Do you want to do you want to move on from Poland uh, to the German Bundesliga, where we yep. can finally crown uh, one of our first champions? Um, no surprise to anyone. The Berlin Recycling Volleys crown themselves the champions with a three nothing sweep over um, over uh, Friedrich Schaffen. Are, are we at, at all surprised here? No. Not at all. Uh, good for Berlin. Congratulations to them. Uh, I, I know that, that while they have been clearly the best team in Germany over the last decade or so, for some reason, like I know that the German Cup has eluded them a decent bit, but they have always, always, always had success in the playoffs. This is their seventh title in a row, if what I'm reading is correct. Um, yeah, not including the 2020 season where nobody won, but yeah, seven in a row and 10 of the last 11 Bundesliga titles belong to this franchise. That is nuts. It also it also brings them equal all-time to Friedrichshafen. Now they're tied all-time at 13 apiece. That's spicy. But, so I think that's, that's big. Um, there was also a bit of a situation in this last match. Yeah, um, so I was hoping we were going to talk about this. I don't know really what happened here. Let, talk us through it. Well, I don't really know what happened here either. It looked like there was some talking through the net, some jawing. Um, and, of course, good old Canadian boy letting his uh, his hockey roots shine through Andre Brown goes underneath the net to have some words, uh, let's say. I believe it was with Merrick Sotola. And uh, eventually uh, they get broken up and he gets uh, ejected from the match and suspended. Um, originally it seemed like there was a bit of confusion because he was ejected from the match based off of um, a video challenge. And they went back to the video, which technically isn't in the rules. I, I guess that's what, that's what the big conversation was about, but eventually they dropped the challenge. Um, and you know what? That to me, you know what? I, I think that just happens. You're in the finals, you're losing, you're you're getting dummied like Berlin was <laughs> dummying them, and he just got a little bit of a hot head. He he's a good old Humber Hawk. Uh if you know anything about the OCAA and you know how the Humber Hawks play, they play with an edge and they, they play kind of in your face volleyball. I mean they're in the middle of Rexdale, which is kind of known as not definitely not one of the safest neighborhoods in Toronto, let's say. So yeah, like he's he's got a bit of an edge on him and that's He's been one of the best uh, Canadian, you know, players playing professionally this year. He led the Champions League in blocks in, in the group stage. So, you know what? I, I don't have a problem with it. I kind of like it. It shows who we are. I kind of like it, too. It, it was I, I looked at the clip and I was confused by it because, yeah, it didn't really look suspension worthy. So Friedrichshafen and Berlin and the league office are like figuring out now why there was a video replay used for his suspension. But whatever it didn't affect anything at all in the end berlin was always going to win this series berlin was the best team all year long and therefore uh, as as bounce house in the league have posted their their sort of all-star team for the entire year of the seven players five from the berlin recycling volleys so johannes teal at setter marek Schotola opposite ruben shot and jordan ewart outside hitters uh, alexander nadelkovich and anton bram in the middles and then satoshi suiki the japanese guy at libero Ruben Schott does not deserve a spot on this list, but other than that, I, no. I'm cool with it. I'm, I'm stoked to see Jordan Ewert get recognized. Yeah, me too. And I think it just it just increases that conversation. Is Does he have a spot in the USA national team gym this summer? He does, like, does if he, he wants it. And it, it sounds like to me there's a chance that he doesn't want it. I think he, there might be some bad blood there between him and Spira being left out the last couple of years. And like 
wouldn't really blame him for that, but he would be a very welcome fourth outside hitter. Like think think of that room. Aaron Russell, Thomas Jeschke, TJ DeFalco, and Jordan Ewert. That's an amazing group of four outside hitters. Like way better than let's no, you you know, you know what you're missing. That's Garrett Mangatiti. <laughs> you, you know. It doesn't matter that uh, he's playing in Indonesia this year. You know that come VNL, you know that come Olympic qualifiers. Magatia is going to find a way to weasel himself under the court. AKA just look up at Papa, Papa Spra and be like, put me in coach. Embarrassing. Just, do it. just put me, just put me in coach. <laughs> I, I, I would love to see a second team all-stars for the, the, the year for the Bundesliga. I do think it would be chock full of some more um, Americans and Canadians. I think Joe, both Joe and Gage Worsley, um, should would would make a second team i think andre brown would be on that second team and i think jordan snitzer as well from Lundberg. i actually think there was one named i, th- I think they was there? yeah they they named they listed down a couple few guys but i don't know exactly who they were or where to find it so i'm sure the discord can tell us uh one of our german friends in the discord who can dig through the media and find like the the lists of all like the sort of team of the year rankings in the Bundesliga by position uh, that would help but I do think that Schnitzer was recognized I think that Worsley was the Joe Worsley was the third setter behind uh, Tila and Vincic I'm not sure if Gage was on there for a libero or not so uh, that that's in the discord somewhere all right sounds good it seems Berlin's captain was Angel Angel Trinidad yeah that's and he, he got hurt he started early in the year then got yeah, hurt then Tila came in and was so good that he never gave up the spot. So I know uh, our friend Philippe in the Discord, our German friend, is a huge Johannes Tila guy, and he feels very validated that Tila's had such a good year. So we'll see if he uh, carries that over in the German national team season. One thing uh, we're looking at here is uh, Berlin's head coach, Cedric Ennard, will be moving out and will be leaving Berlin. Uh, I do believe it's Joel Banks from uh, England who's going to be coming in and taking over the reins. Int- I, I, bro, don't ask me. Yeah, I don't. I don't know the guy. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to make that move. You won five, cha- you know, championships in a row and all of that. But hey, that's that's what he decided to do. Hmm. Yeah, very interesting. It will be very interesting to see if that, that will how it will affect Berlin moving forward. Yeah, it seems like every year we look at Berlin's roster and like, oh, maybe this is the year when they don't win the German league. And then here they are, like stomping, completely stomping Friedrichshafen. Was it like nine to two total in sets? Like not even close. Yeah. So uh, good for Berlin. Good for them picking up some hardware. Uh, I think we can probably move on from that. Let's talk about the Turkish men's league. Because on last week's show, we talked about Hawkbank Ankara, who's been the best team with Micah Ma'a, Namir, Thomas Jeschke. They've been the best team in Turkey all year. They picked up Thomas Jeschke midway through. They got even better. But, but, uh, since, since then, it's been any, any, uh, really completely the opposite direction. Uh, match two was a three-dong by Zeratbank. And match three was today a 3-1 win by Zeratbank. And they lead the best of five series 2-1 to one for the title in the Turkish men's league. I don't know what has happened to Hawkbank Ankara, but it doesn't look particularly good. They are up against the unstoppable monster that is Valter Termat, and they don't have a way to stop him right now the last couple matches. And and not to mention, um, we've got Benjamin Button out there, Mr. Osmani Wantarena, 
just going right. absolutely off. He had swung 63% uh, in game number two. And what was his, uh, what was his swing here? I was looking at it earlier. It's pretty bad today. Pretty, uh, he, was, he wasn't great today, 17. 5 for 17. Yeah, that's, that's not at good at all. But Varsa Tamat, man, he's a former Berlin, Berlin standout. And when oh, he I gets going, about that. Great yeah, callback. when he gets going, he gets going. And man, even Martin Antanasov was, was good in this one. He was 15 for 24 with no errors and only got blocked one time. So that is, yeah, (laughs) absolutely. So it'll be very, very interesting to see how, um, uh, how Hawkbank bounces back because the mirror didn't have his great, greatest game today. Four errors got blocked seven times. 15 blocks, 15 blocks for zero bank, 15 blocks for zero bank today. That's a, that's a massive number. Nineteen for forty-two with thirteen, or sorry, with eleven total errors. That's not good. Not good I, for Namir. I wonder if this matchup is a little bit like because you've got the the, the glorified Dutch boy in Namir, who you know he's he's been the guy and always the forgotten one, you know, in Vasseterman, and he's never really it, it it from an external point. It's never really seemed like he's been giving a fair, a fair kick at the can, especially with the Dutch national team. Um, and it seems like he's unloading all of that frustration in the past few games in this series. I, I have a, a take that is similar. What if the effect is that because of Termat isn't playing that much for the Dutch national team, he mm-hmm. actually gets an off season. And then, oh. is, and then is able to parlay that into a, a, a professional volleyball season, and then once again is awarded an off season. I know this is a crazy concept. I know it's a ridiculous concept for the sport of volleyball, but just think about it. Just think about the concept of an off season. Let that let that idea float around in your head a little bit as we talk about a, a Champions League final in a week and a half in the first week of VNL, like two weeks later. God, ridiculous. Yeah, uh, Thomas Jeschke, by the way, amazing again. Eighteen for twenty nine today, just just incredible. He's really like I'm. I'm really happy for the way Jeschke has been playing this season and and playing himself self back into a spot because uh, I love watching him ball and I think he's when he's on his game he he's a guy that can truly truly ball. He hit a big ball today that was like pretty close to the three meter line how straight down he hit that ball <laughs> it was unreal like it was it was off a free ball Ma- i got him no blockers and he dented the floor it was so sick and however hawk bank lost so uh here they are having to win two matches in a row to, to win the league and hold the the kind of title as best team in turkey that they've had all season let's see when's the next game on that one it is the 12th which is friday uh, Friday, twelve thirty Eastern, um, Game Four in that series. Okay, well, that will be we wanted to check out on uh, on Friday on YouTube for free, not geo blocked, by the way. Oh, amazing! Actually, no, I knew that. I was watching the women's <laughs> women's games yeah. today. Yeah, same YouTube channel. All right, let's move on to the LNV. A uh, surprising one here. We talked about their dumb format. They are down to the finals, and Chalmont comes out of nowhere three dongs the best team in the country at least what we thought in tours beats them uh 25 20 28 26 25 17 and uh now there's only one match left it has golden set potential on saturday but could it be that tours like dominates the league all year and gets upset by the four seed showmont in the finals or they might be the three seed either way oh man i especially how Chaumont like really went the distance in all of their series going to five uh, against um, 
against NSR in, in the first one, going to three with Nantes in, in, the, in the next one. They're battle tested and, and they've been there, but I wouldn't be surprised to watch um, to watch Tools bounce back here, though. Not not at all. Sure. Yeah, not a great game from Abuba for Tours. Um, five errors. Not a good game at all from Luciano Polonski. Um, three aces to 22 service errors for Tours is really bad. So yeah. that's all like fixable stuff, but they're going to have to win a match. Like, And I think what, what we found out is that in the LN, this dumb series in the LNV, set score doesn't matter. It's just if you win the match, like if Tours wins the match on Saturday, regardless of score, they will play a golden set to break the tie. And so... That's possible, uh, but I'm rooting for Shomon. They've got two Americans. They've got Pat Gaspin, who's been good. They've got Mike Marshman, who uh, is going to miss this weekend's VLA Cup because he's going to you know, try and win the French League. But he's starting now where he belongs, and he is awesome and really underrated. So I'm really happy for Marsh. Shouts to him. It will be interesting because Tools does get to go back home for the the, the final game. Great right? point. And they they yes, do they get do. To, they do get to play at home. I know that Shomon has you know is, is sometimes a, a difficult place to play uh as well um so yeah i i i do think that uh it's going to be a little bit different for chaumont to play at home or sorry away at, at tools yep we'll see what happens so that one is uh saturday i forget what time it's at uh 2 p.m eastern 2 p.m eastern saturday and that'll do it for the french league so uh i think ever all that we have left to do on the show is talk about some stateside stuff you ready for that Absolutely, absolutely, because we had the, why am I blanking on what's this called, the NCAA Men's Volleyball Tournament, it's like the final seven, I don't even know what it is, uh, go down this past weekend, and Rob, they've finally done it, they finally did it, UCLA, Johnsboro are finally at the top of the NCAA in what was a pretty, a pretty good tournament, uh, a pretty good match. Um, I was only able to watch the finals because all the other ones were on random ass ESPN channels that I couldn't get access to here in Canada. Uh, but the finals for what it was worth was a very, very good match. That second set when Hawaii came back oh. to win it was one of the best volleyball sets of volleyball I've seen all season, all year. Um, it was and and in a long time, it was just back and forth, haymaker after haymaker, big play after big play. You absolutely love to see that in a national final. But at the end of the day, UCLA just too skilled, too good, and they take home their first national title since what? Oh six, something like that. That sounds about right. Uh, their twentieth ever, which is which is insane. I think people forget about how completely dominant UCLA was um, in the Al Skates era, winning 19 national titles. But now John Spira at his alma mater gets his first with UCLA. Remember he has, he had three with UC Irvine, um, but Spira now four and one all time in national championship games. Pretty impressive, but I know this one meant a lot to him. He, he was the coach of the year. Uh, he took his alma mater to a national championship. That is a big deal. UCLA went through a lot this year. We talked about, their setter position, losing Miles Partain, and this this wonder kid, Andrew Rowan, true freshman, comes in and ends up being a first-team All-American. So congratulations to UCLA. The championship match was amazing. It was amazing. I think it was the best final for sure since the Long Beach UCLA five-setter in 2018. 18, yeah. And maybe, maybe even since the Loyola versus Lewis uh, Chicago crosstown battle in 2015 which went okay. over time in the fifth. Like the, the, 
instant classic match. And like you said, the second set, um, UCLA led 22 to 18 and up one set to none after coming back uh, on their own right in the first. And th- all the volleyball after that to get to 33-31 Hawaii was just incredible. Like like Kevin Barnett and Paul Sunderland were saying on the broadcast, not only did it go deep, but the level. The level was so high. It was a heavyweight fight. The execution level was insane. The guys were bombing balls from the service line. They were passing nails. There were no unforced errors. It was just haymaker after haymaker, amazing offensive execution by both teams. It was so high level. It was such, such a treat to watch. Big, big shout out, first and foremost, as far as individual players go, to J.R. Norris a fifth-year senior oh, yeah. coming off the bench in the middle, casually just goes 8-for-11 attacking with five aces and didn't even get an all-tournament nod, which we can complain about here in a minute. But he yeah, was, we'll he was talk about that for sure. just tremendous. Uh, UCLA as a team uh, out-hit Hawaii, which was very impressive, 353-299. Uh, to Andrew Rowan was amazing. Alex Knight was the player of the tournament, was unbelievable on the outside. This was as good of an NCAA final as we've seen in years. I was so happy watching it. It was awesome. It's probably already on YouTube somewhere. If you missed it, go back and watch, especially that second set. It was such a treat to watch. Yeah, it, it really was. I was kind of hoping Hawaii was going to force a fifth there uh, and, and just awesome. push it a little bit, um, especially, you know, they're the two-time defending national champs, and it just would have made it that much sweeter. But happy to see Hawaii on the top of the podium. Of course, selfishly, my boy Cole Kett got in there a little bit too, the Canadian bit. guy, a little bit. Um, so, yeah, it was it was so much fun to watch. Um, yeah, it was, it, it was just a, a great match overall. I, there was so much talent on both of these teams. Oh, UCLA though significantly more American than yes. than Hawaii, right? Yes. When you look at at that Hawaii team and and how they've been built, and they've got you know was a, 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 a setter from Denmark and a right side from from Greece and players from all over the place. Hell, even one of their their middles, Hogland, was a dual citizenship guy. Uh, he is American from Hawaii, but also half Japanese going to play in the V league next year. Uh, so a very international team on that Hawaiian team. And it's, it's funny, Michael Ma'a was, was kind of alluding to that in a clip that I saw, I saw recently from the out of system, uh, a podcast about how some Hawaii guys complained that, you know, UCLA always has the best recruiting class. Well, yeah, they have the best recruiting class from the States, whereas Hawaii goes and gets out these amazing players from all over. I'm glad you brought that up, and I kind of wanted to address this because we talked about on last week's show with like the the first team All Americans, only I think seven of the twelve being American born kids, and and all of the national players of the year since I think TJ DeFalco, none of them have been American, and just kind of where the NCAA stands in terms of a national team breeding ground. And I I saw that clip from Mike Amata, and I and he agreed with me, like 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 you just said that while UCLA, I mean UCLA is UCLA. Like that is a is, that that goes way past volleyball in their ability to recruit kids and the the resources that that athletic department has to to field great volleyball teams. Like that goes way past just just where they fit in the volleyball landscape. And but I don't want I, I'm not here to like to blame Hawaii or to like to talk down on on Hawaii for going out and getting international players. Like they have always done that. They they have always had a lot of international talent. It's just only been recently that it's turned into like legitimate national championship success. So 
I think it's getting more attention now than maybe it did before. It's not that I, I, I'm mad at Hawaii for getting international players. Like, Charlie Wade, go do whatever you need to do to build a national championship contender. But I'm happy that UCLA won this, this, this national championship because my, what I want as an American volleyball fan is I want Olympic gold medals. I want Olympic medals. And the best way to create Olympic medals for the American men is to have great NCAA players and teams made up of American kids that go on to support the U S national team and hopefully contribute to winning Olympic medals. And since uh, like 2008 gold, 2016 bronze, there's been a, a lot of questions about the pipeline that the U that the NCAA has been to the USA men's national team the last few years. But after this tournament, I feel way better about the NCAA and about the, the future of the U.S. men's national team as I have in a while. Uh, I mean, of UCLA's, I mean, they had five American starters, and then uh, Guy Guinness, their Israeli middle, went to the bench early, and we already talked about how good Norris was. They really only had one major foreign contributor on that team. Other than that, it was, it was just yeah, Americans, yeah. American studs beating a Hawaiian team with four international starters, maybe even like four and a half with Hoagland, like you said. So it, there's nothing wrong with the way that Hawaii has built their teams. It's just that the American pipeline is needed to catch up and win national championships. And now that they have, um, I, I, I like what I've seen from this, this group of American players in the NCAA right now. And my understanding is that the, the, the age class of 17 and 18-year-olds this year in the States are also really, really good. So um, I think that we might see the scales tip back in the American favor in the NCAA in the next couple of years. Um, it was kind of nice to see Andrew Rowan outset Jakob Tella in the final, and he did, make no mistake. Do you think this is coming from the chat here, but also I want to ask it. Do you think Rowan is in that pipeline to kind of join the American national team system? Like, is he in the pipeline to... to uh, to join and if so where does he slot in you know is he kind of like where does he slot in against a guy like quinn isaacson let's say who led the b team this past summer so yes i think that rowan very much is strongly in the picture for the usa i don't want to put too much pressure on the kid because he's 18 and with how good he was this year like coming in halfway through the year up out of nowhere and being a first team all American and now winning a national championship. Like people are already trying to crown Andrew Rowan, the next great American setter. I, I do want to pump the brakes on that a little bit. Let the kid have a good college career. Let him play a little U19 this summer, but he absolutely is in the mix to be uh, in the future of the American setter position because of his age alone. Think about it. Mm, yeah. He's eight, he's 18 turning 19. Micah Christensen literally just turned 30. That is perfect. In, yeah. the L, in the LA 2028 Olympics, that's in five years, right? Micah will be 35. Rowan will be 23. That's yeah. perfect. That's the perfect amount of overlap. If, if I'm, if I'm going to project the, the 2028 Olympic roster right now, Micah Christensen will be the starting setter at age 35. And if all things go right with Rowan's development, he will be the backup setter on that team at age 23 and take over the reins after that. Hopefully that's, if all goes well, that's five years down the line, but in terms of potential and the way that the things work out and the ages and the timeline, yes, I absolutely see it. Also, let's mention the most important thing. He's a UCLA guy who plays for Spiroff, <laughs> right? We know, we know how Spiroff feels about these UCLA guys and keeps on putting them in them, a la, in there, a la Garrett, a Um, 
and, and Rowan's six six. I mean, he, he's he's got everything you could need, you, everything you could ask for. He's six six. He's a good blocker. He's a great server, and uh, he doesn't make any boneheaded setting mistakes as a freshman, which is a really good sign. I think he he has all the tools, but I, I don't want to I don't want to crown him at this point. I want to see him have a great career at UCLA. Go uh, win some hardware like the U nineteen U twenty one level for the USA junior programs, which have never been good. It would be nice to finally uh, do some damage on those levels. And then once you're done at UCLA, we can talk about the 2028 Olympics, perhaps. All right. Fair enough. Any other players like you know, we talked about uh, Alex Knight. I think Champlin was, was really good as well um, for, uh, for UCLA. I know there's been a lot of talk in the discord about Merrick McHenry. I'm not so high on the McHenry list about being a national team, uh, like uh, the, one of the next guys up from the national team. I did get to see him play the summer with the B team uh, at the Pan Am Cup, Cup in Gatineau um, and really wasn't that wasn't that oppressed. And I know he dominated in this final and throughout this tournament and, the, and this year, but that the way the style of the way he plays moving to the professional ranks, the international ranks, I think there's a big gap there. You know, we talked about it a little bit beforehand. He doesn't hit a true quick. He kind of hits that one and a half. Once you start playing guys who are consistently six, eight and above, you're going to have hands in your face. And for the top guys, like that's going to be a walk in the park to just go up there and stuff you every single time. Um, and blocking his, his blocking just quite isn't there. So, you know, even with the B team this summer, he started at the beginning of that tournament and towards the end, you know, once they got into playoffs, they went to Toby Zionu, um, who was much more physical in my opinion, than than McHenry and hits a ball even higher than him. Um, so, other than that, I do think there's some good chances there. As I said, with guys like Champlin and Knight to uh, to make a crack at the national team in, in the next few years. Yeah, so that that that's a, a good point about McHenry, and I kind of tend to agree with you. I, I don't know if, how well his style is going to translate, but that doesn't take away from the year that he had. He was amazing, yep. and he was amazing in the NCAA tournament. Great serving as well. But I do want to talk about this stupid. <laughs> embarrassing all tournament team what are we doing here seven players the most outstanding player was alex knight outside hitter from ucla very well deserved um brett wildman from penn state an outside hitter and mason briggs from long beach get a spot being the semifinalists. we didn't really talk about the semis by the way but uh ucla stomped long beach exactly like i thought and hawaii beat penn state three to one um, Jakob Tella, the National Player of the Year, gets a spot in the all-tournament team at center. Demetrius Nucleus at opposite. Ido David, the UCLA opposite. And then Troy Gooch, the UCLA libero, who I thought was the best libero in the tournament. Why are there two liberos on this list? Why are there no middles on this list? It is crazy, crazy that there are no middles on an all-tournament team list, especially with how good Norris was, with how good McHenry was, with how good Simon Torrey from Long Beach State was, like, why? This is the easiest Hoglin thing. Hoglin as well for Hoglin for from Hawaii. Hawaii. Guillermo yeah. Voss. Why is it so yeah. hard to get, get an all-tournament team right? Why is this something that the NCAA can never do, men's or women's? We, I always clown on it once every six months. You can set an alarm to making fun of the NCAA all-tournament team. It's, it's crazy. Why can't we get this right? Why are there no middles? Why are there two arrows? Who's, who's picking it? Is it like... Is it volleyball people or is it NCAA people? I have no idea. It's probably NCAA people, and that would explain it. They're like, hey, Briggs has a nice little fall in there. Let's put him up there. No easy boxes. Let's go. Briggs was the third best libero in this tournament at best, maybe even fourth. I think Ryan Merck. We got a shout-out for Ryan Merck from Penn State, who I know, Chicago kid. 
Um, he might have been better than Briggs. Uh, Gooch was definitely better than Briggs. I think Sheward from Hawaii may have been better than Briggs. Like we like Mason Briggs, but he wasn't like yeah. all tournament level. If you're going to no. pick a Long Beach State player, it's it's obviously Simon Torwe. Their middle was clearly their best player in this tournament. Like, what are we doing? Yeah, he. I mean, I've really liked Simon Torrey from when I saw him back in the beginning of January when they came up to play McMaster. Like, I really like the way he plays. Although, once again, another international guy coming out coming <laughs> out of Spain. Um, so you know, you got you got, you got to pick your battles here, Rob. But um, yeah, it, it, it's very questionable. Um, a lot of love for Briggs. A lot of love the way he got to love the way he plays the game. But only five digs in that semifinal. You, you got to be having an impact. And if your team, like if your team doesn't, doesn't win, like you got to find a way to have, to have an impact and yet have, have an impact to be on the all tournament team. So very, very questionable here. Um, a selection. Yeah, we can do better than this. Uh, but other, other than this, this stupid, embarrassing list, which we make fun of every year, it was an extremely good tournament. It was an extremely good tournament. It was an extremely good final. So great for the NCAA. Hopefully we can parlay that, uh, that men's, attention that momentum we can parlay that into this everett i'm very excited it's a very big weekend uh we, we've found a little lane the last couple of years in staging the vla cup this year uh the biggest and the best professional level men's volleyball tournament in american history right the weekend after the ncaa championship well we've done that the last couple of years i've had a ton of success um, going down in Chicago this week, there are 36 teams playing this tournament, 28 men's teams, and for the first time ever, eight women's teams at the VLA Cup. Uh, this is going to be nuts all day Friday, all day Saturday, and a decent amount of the day on Sunday in Chicago. There will be VLA ball going on 81 matches in total. That's, that's a lot. Yeah, that's a lot. Are all of the men's teams from Tier 1 and Tier 2 coming to this tournament? Uh, not all of them from tier two because there's more than 20. Uh, so there's all, okay. all eight tier one teams will be there, uh, but 20 tier two teams will be there, which is nuts, including uh, a team that is basically just an NCAA all-star team from the various programs this year. And so if you want to know who that is, uh, tune into our show around the VLA later tonight where we'll talk about who's on those rosters. But um, a lot of recent NCAA talent, including some, some names that you will recognize uh, will be playing in the VLA Cup this weekend. What What about broad broadcasting? What are we looking at? Are we going to get a VLA all day here? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, all on YouTube, all on the VLA channel. We've got the all-day broadcast that's been, been a huge hit this year that will run from first serve, 7.30 a.m. Central, all the way through every match, Saturday, every match Friday, every match Saturday, and all the way up to the final Sunday. Uh, where we flip back and forth between the courts, kind of what Bounce House did this year, basically a uh, VLA red zone. If you like NFL red zone, it's that for volleyball for a four-court tournament. It's going to be awesome. And then the individual streams for all the games, uh, 1440p, 60 FPS, baseline camera angle. It's the good stuff. It's the good stuff. It's what volleyball deserves. You're going to like what it. The, who's your favorite going into this event? <sighs> I, I like Team LVC a lot. Uh, I, I, that's, that's an easy pick, uh, cause they've had like recent success winning the East division cup. But, um, now this is about the point in the, in the VLA season when the overseas guys start to come back and, uh, they're doing that for team LVC in a very big way. 
Nick Scherzer and Greg Petty will likely be the outside hitter duo, which is completely nasty. Like, you, you know, Scherzer, Greg Petty was the MVP of the league in Finland this year. Um, they've got reigning MVP of the VLA, Joby Ramos setting. They've got Blake Leeson in the middle. Like, the LVC is going to be nasty. So they, they do have uh, the way their bracket matches up, likely they'll, they'll probably get either Team NV or this NCAA All-Star team. They'll probably get him in the second round, like in the round of eight, which could be pretty spicy. But uh, LVC body for body is probably the best team at this tournament. So I'm curious to see if they can get it done. I also like how you guys have it set up where, you you know, in the pool play, you just have tier one teams playing each other. And then for all the tier two teams play each other and the best tier two teams get to play with the tier one teams. Uh, I like that just so you're not getting some blowouts on day one and you're getting some some meaningful ball. Yeah, I agree. And uh, every single match counts for points as well as not just towards winning the tournament, but towards points for the tier one playoffs, the tier two promotion race, like all that is really, really significant. So uh, we're going through it all in detail later tonight on Around the VLA. So check out the VLA YouTube channel for that show with myself and Ben Sanzuki. We'll break down the tournament, but you're going to want to tune into this, especially the final uh, Sunday, 5 p.m. Eastern is the final. And that will be a ridiculously good match. It has been every year. Uh, it'll be on YouTube. It'll be free to the public. You're going to want to watch it. It will be very, very good ball with some big names. I'm, I'm, I'm stoked. All right. That, blah, blah, blah. Make sure to check that out. Make sure to check Rob out over on VLA all day. I've checked it out a few times this year, and it's some good stuff. I, I really like it. So it's. Uh, I'm sad I won't be there. I had hopefully planned to, but unfortunately... I uh, just couldn't get couldn't get the finances in the row to uh, t- to get it going on. So, Rob, I'm still I'm still going to be missing out. I'm still looking forward to that first ever trip to Chicago to come visit you. <laughs> It'll happen sooner or later, but uh, we'll be re- reunited before too long. I have a feeling, my friend. All right, perfect. Love the sound of that. All right, I think that is all for today, guys. As we've said, this is a big, big, big week for volleyball. We've got Plus Liga going down tomorrow. Games on Thursday, games on Friday, games on Saturday, games on Sunday, VLA all day, all weekend long. Um, so don't miss any of it. As always, head over to the Discord. You got to join that. That's the best way to keep track of everything. Um, of course, we got our wonderful today's matches. So if you if you ever you're like, hey, I want to watch volleyball today, you just go over there, click on the little today's matches tab. You have the wonderful. Uh, schedule uh, set up for you to, to, to check out. Uh, another reminder, give this video a like if you like us. Um, and if you don't like us, give us a like anyways, because we deserve it. Um, also, where's daddy? Um, I've been watching uh, my my screen of, of the broadcast has been in about uh, 93 pixels for this entire <laughs> time. So I have no idea. Uh, what's going on? Like even the where's daddy on my screen right now looks like an impressionist painting. Yeah, I mine even too. Tell you, yeah, I couldn't tell you what the nine by nine logo looks looks like. Um, so yeah, no, no idea. I'm stoked for Rob to tell me in about thirty seconds. But make sure to like this video. Go check out that volleyball dot store, and we will see you next week. Peace.